0: And the zone acting (laughs) face. There it is. There it is. Welcome back to another episode of the Barber's Brief, where we try to, we say it's like around 20 minutes, but it kind of goes over. But we try to give you marketing and business news in about 20 minutes. Um, Just quick shout out for all those who have subscribed to our newsletter. Thank you for doing so. Continue to do so. Um, We basically repurpose a lot of the content that we share on this episode Uh, In a a newsletter form. So I love any feedback as well. Uh, Mark? Yeah. We got in the news. We got got in the
1: news. Well, what would a week be without another Mark Ritson article? This one is Strikes Home. So there is an article he wrote about effective ignorance has left America (laughs) lagging behind the rest of the world in marketing. So I would say this applies to us too. Hey, Canucks out there, hey. A little bit, hey, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, in, in, interesting, really interesting conversation because he's saying Americans and Canadians generally are not participating in conversations like EX, ESOV or distinctive assets, attention theory, 60-40 rule, mental and physical availability. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's interesting because, as you know, V, you just started a job, by the way. Congrats. Thank you, thank you. I am no longer unemployed. <laughs> <It's> exciting,
2: <laughs> it is exciting.
1: I've been recently in my interviews talking to people about evidence and data-driven not being the same thing, and so yeah. people are like, "Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more." And so I start menti- mentioning some of these things, and and um, the general idea is like, "Oh, that's interesting theory." I'm like, no, it's not yes. theory no <laughs> um there, and so in his article Mark talks about the tenets of distinctiveness the things I just mentioned um, and it generally is not being accepted I think overall the article he, in the article he talks about there's a an idea of like American exceptionalism where mm-hmm. they're thinking like that's interesting stuff but that applies across the pond not here um, yeah, yeah, yeah in general you and I have looked for people we could interview in North America to talk about things like this and there's few of them um ty heath we've had on the show from the b2b institute john lombardo and peter weinberg colin paul's um who's at an american school but uh is an american by birth and then we've had roger martin on so it's interesting to see that there's markets and calling out um, a lack of evidence-based marketers and and effectiveness conversations happening in america and i think it's really just interesting because it's a reflection of the things that we've been finding too with
0: i couldn't agree more with his uh with his point of view on on this because i think we are waning a little bit not a little bit quite a bit uh and we're not actually uh you know taking part in some of these really important conversations and you know we actually we were presenting last week right and we were yeah. talking a lot about uh, about these and obviously they were re- well received by the by the audience which is which is great and the one thing that we, the feedback that we got was, you know, have never heard this before. never thought about things like this before, but, yeah. and f- for me, it's like, well, if we're marketers and we're, you know, we're spending time understanding all the trends and all the different things that are around us, we should be spending time on a lot of this literature that is a hundred percent backed by evidence. And totally. it's not theories. The, these are yeah. fundamental ways and approaches to become better.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I posted yesterday on on LinkedIn about the funnel. Like, I would say that's a theory. Exactly, yes. But there's a whole bunch of other things that exist out there. I think there's <laughs> 10 different theories of how consumers buy, and none of them are right, but there's a lot of evidence that shows facts around buyer behavior. Yeah. And so we just ignore some of the things that, because it's not useful or practical or familiar to us exactly like nps is a theory but the evidence shows it doesn't work <laughs> but everybody loves nps i mean right i don't know yeah what do you got b
0: um all my digital marketers out there so it seems like there's more changes happening to the algorithms from uh from google's perspective so especially on the organic side so danny sullivan who is google search liaison has been quoted in saying that there are major changes coming to Google search ranking algorithms. Now, they didn't release many details right now as to what is actually changing, but he goes on quote unquote record, at least he went on X. It's so weird to call it X, honestly. I know, on Twitter.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. Um, there's uh, There's so much coming. I don't want to say buckle up, but that makes you freak out because if you're doing good stuff, it's not going to be an issue to you. Yeah. So it's probably looking to address a lot of the uh, the gaming of the system that exists right. um and how to, you know, rank organically a lot higher. So it's trying to reward probably more uh those that do generate good content um mm-hmm. and reward them with uh probably more favorable uh results. So more to come on that, but I did want to highlight that
1: there are changes coming. Yeah. What's when next? You, when you say I'm going to send a tweet or do you say, do you send, do you send an X? <laughs> send <it> an X. <laughs> I'm going to send an That's X to my X. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, I don't know.
1: I got, um, one of the things I think I thought was interesting when we had John Dawes on, he had mentioned an article he had recently published, um, looking at where brand growth potential comes from. So that I wanted to summarize that cause it's really interesting. So in general, mm. it's an academic paper. So this is not like, uh, you know, Problem um, to read. It's a it two-minute read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's a, so there's a general held belief in the 80-20 rule, so which says that in the Pareto principle, so eighty percent of your sales come from twenty percent of your customers. Byron Sharp previously had found that the top fifty percent of your sales comes from actually twenty percent of your customers, which means that the remaining eighty percent of your customer base, your light category buyers. Drive mm-hmm. upwards of 50% of your sales, which is not nothing. No. So if you're looking to grow, you really need to think about how you're going to grow with your light category buyers. In addition to that, there's also some research that talks about how your heavy category buyers don't stay heavy forever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And light category buyers in the future become heavy category buyers in the future. So it's really important to drive reach to those heavy buyers. So in this study, they looked at a simulation to try and figure out if they could predict the results from real uh, panel data on CPG buyers, in this case the toothpaste category. And they found that the simulation using the um, double jeopardy law, there's a real fancy name for it, um, in scientific models. But the they use that law to figure out if they could predict how much growth is going to come from light buyers. And so their predictions matched reality. Mm-hmm. Um which was that there are th- three main functions or four things you really have to think about when it comes to your sales potential. So you got to think about how many buyers in the category there are, right? how much they buy, how frequently mm-hmm. they buy, and then what percentage of those buyers that you win from all category sales. Right. Um, and so current heavy buyers represent a, a small ish source of sales potential for a couple of reasons. One, that they're the minority of the of the buyers in the customer in any brand's customer base. Mm -hmm. And that the second part is that the brand's customer base already gets a huge portion of their category purchase from heavy buyers. So you can't do much more to make them buy more. Right. So in terms of your brand's room for growth over time, like say a three, four, five year time period, you really need to reach light buyers and non-category buyers to let them mm-hmm. know that you're in the category. Otherwise they're just going to keep doing the things that they're, they've done before.
2: Yeah.
0: You know what I love about this? It's a, another one of those marketing myths busted. You know, yeah. the 20, 80%, right? it's actually only 50%. And, you know, when you have organization, this this predates even like in my airline days where you want to make sure you're going back to that well. So for us, like business travelers was really important. Right. So how you can get them to buy more, et cetera. And the reality is when you still looked at the total, um, I guess, the total amount of uh, guests that we would fly, the majority was still outside of the business travelers. Yeah. So it made more sense our communication probably would be structured around, you know, the light buyers that maybe only travel once or twice a year yeah. versus doubling down on some of those, um, you know, uh, premium because they're going to travel anyways.
1: For sure. Well, you, you guys used to do the WestJet. You, yeah. You you are West Jet V. <laughs> I am WestJet. <laughs> but I mean, that's a big part of the, the reason why you did the Christmas uh, campaign. Mirafil. Yeah. Also, a reason why you did like the April Fool's thing. Like, it wasn't yeah. because there's heavy buyers buying it at those times. I mean, it makes sense because you reach a whole bunch of new category buyers.
0: Totally. Totally. What else you got? Whoa. Remember Y3000, Coca Cola? Well, it's back. Whoa. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the Las Vegas fear. You know, remember when, um, you know, they basically reformulated the Coke um, formula? Whatever. Yep. So the Y3000, we had zero surger And as of November 13th, so I think today, or yesterday, sorry, because um, we're recording on Tuesday, never mind. As of November 13th, the brand will actually will transfer the spheres, exosphere, um, and yep. made it bring to life essentially like a futuristic landscape or cityscape uh, that has been inspired again by the Y3000 AI cam. So Hmm. Um, for me i think like this is just this is awesome it's gimmicky i love it though keep going coke I yeah. love this. it's a really fun way to play on uh oh. the ai idea i still haven't seen it in stores yet but i i will i will buy
1: and <laughs> try this y3 this reformulated <laughs> y3000 they got me they got me nice what do you got uh from the drum, so this isn't a new story, but it's new to me. I, I've recently applied to H- a job at Huge. Who knows if I am mm-hmm. get it? But, um, but I thought Anyone this want some was re- huge listening, yeah. Right. Make sure you pick up his resume. This is really interesting because there's a whole, like I used to be an agency, and so and anybody I know, and we've worked with agency people, and and the process of winning a new client is really interesting. You have an yeah. RFP. The RFP basically says we're hand-selecting, you know, upwards of whatever. Let's say it's six uh, Mm -hmm. agencies to do work for us. So the agency is expected to submit a whole bunch of work. It's a ton of time, and they provide creative examples of what they're going to do. So they're essentially giving away ideas for free. Then if you get shortlisted, you get into this bidding war, and the bidding (laughs) war basically means you have to, you know, sharpen your pencil, quote-unquote. That's all it is. (laughs) And in that process, you're basically deleting margin. Yeah. And then you get through like then the the company has all the power because they're essentially saying like, well, they're going to give us a rate of an hourly rate of X and you're going to give us an hourly rate of Y. What else can you do for us?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Anyway, the whole process is really timely, really like consuming, like consumes a lot of bandwidth from the agency. And so huge is now saying, forget it, we're not doing it anymore.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. we're going to actually make three products um, based in the categories of where we get the most requests. So there's experience transformation, technology realization, and growth creation. And under each of these categories, there's specific packages that you can select in from a menu. And and so we've essentially productized our offerings um, based on the most common recurring problems. And there's a set price with pre-agreed outcomes and predetermined timelines for deliverables. So it reduces the cost for the agency because they don't have to do all these RFP pitches anymore. They also Mm -hmm. went fully remote to remove office leasing costs. Um, And it allows the company to offer their talent from around the world um, to agents or to clients from wherever they may be. So I thought it was really interesting because it's it's a huge bet. I know they've actually reduced. Reduced headcount recently. So I don't know where they're at with the, how successful this is, but I just thought it was an interesting story because it's an attempt at solving a real problem in the agency world.
0: Well, I'm with you in the context that I I don't know what's actually transpired and how this is working, but the, the thought process I think is really good. And when I think about even the moments that we are client side and Mm -hmm. we're, we're basically running an RFP, um, it is exactly what you. I want to get the best quality for the lowest cost. Mm -hmm. That's what you're looking for. Right. And I think that does put agencies, some of these agencies in a really precarious position because when you're giving up margin then you're not potentially not can't pay your staff Mm -hmm. as well. So then you're dealing with resourcing issues. Um, There is probably a better way to do it. Now, if this is it, cool. The time will tell. uh, But I still think there's a lot still needs to be um, still needs to evolve in that space. Yeah. What else you got? Um, so again, for my digital marketing friends out there, especially those in the U.S., because you guys are lucky again. Dang it! So on November seventh, uh, so this is a little—I guess it would have been last week—Google uh, released their generative AI features to the Performance Max platform uh, to the ad platform. Um, it's in beta, but again, it's only to U.S. customers right now. What this does, basically, it's, uh, if you recall, I think this was a few weeks ago, talk about it, like a lot of the platforms that are preparing for holiday season. Well, essentially, they're rolling out the ability that now all you have to do is populate your, um, the landing page, the, let me see, what was the other? So, an can now view and edit uh, populated assets based on a landing page URL, and it will automatically um, basically suggest text and image assets uh for the ad itself mm. so I, this for me again is really important because now it's you're able to increase the velocity probably you know go to market with with ads mm-hmm. there's probably gonna be a whole bunch of you know red tape around this for a lot for many of the larger brands though so in terms of like what kind of image are you using what is the right you know yeah. message tonality and, sure. and whatnot. So. I don't know if everyone's going to jump on this uh, bandwagon, but I just like to see it continuously evolve. So,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: if anyone's out there in the US, but yeah, interesting about this because in the context of light category buyers, I wonder how they're going to the Performance Max product is going to target because it's going to probably, I imagine, look for the heavy buyers in the moment. Maybe. Yeah. Because they're looking for like ROAS or ROI. I, yeah, I guess it would depend on the campaign um,
0: inputs that you add. So, what are you trying yeah. to? If you were to go against reach, maybe you'd be able to find the light buyers. Versus if you are trying to prioritize things like conversion to ROAS, then maybe not. That's an interesting. That's an interesting thought. I wonder. Hmm. I'm going to try to find out more about this one because yeah. I'm curious.
1: Last one. What do we got? Uh, Fast company uh, announced the um which hmm. is the infamous. Um, design firm that basically created design thinking and then also famously created uh, the Apple mouse, the yeah. original Apple mouse, uh, has experiencing layoffs and restructuring due to shift in away from traditional design thinking. And okay. some of the things that they're moving towards is more agile process, or that's what companies are looking for, more agile mm-hmm. process, um, external source of, in- of innovation. Um, It's kind of like a moment in time kind of story more than anything. Yeah. I would say. I'm with you. Yeah. It's interesting because it was design thinking has become so embedded in a lot of the things that we do. Yep. uh, And the process of that design thinking. So I don't, it just could mark a a tough spot in the company's history right now. But I don't know that the design thinking idea and design in general is going away. Um, There's just so many more versions of it now
0: yeah and i think it's just an evolution as well um it, it, like you said it's a point in time i'd like to think that a lot of the principles around design thinking still apply and can apply in today's uh you know in today's uh business environment uh but who knows uh, it's i hope uh for the for the sake of everyone that's been a part of that organization that the ones that were you know, let go and land on their feet. Mm-hmm. Um in this very competitive environment that we're currently operating in. Yeah. Dun,
1: dun, dun, dun. The marketing moment V with a case study uh, that h- case should study. highlight something really interesting in three to four minutes. Go. <laughs> go. <laughs> Here we go again. All right.
0: So three to four minutes max. Uh so I'm not reading the sheet. That's all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you threw me off, goddammit. it! All right. Uh, as a part of Kantar's top ten penetration powerhouses, so we highlighted Sprite a few weeks uh, a few weeks ago. This time around, I wanted to take a moment to highlight Oreo. Now, yeah. I am I have a notorious sweet tooth, so everyone who knows me knows I I, I am a sucker for Oreo. So this one was kind of a no brainer. Mm. So. Uh, over the years, so it was back in 2020, uh, when uh, Oreo launched a, a new brand platform called Stay Playful, okay. Display play this uh, this campaign itself uh, was a global brand platform that essentially uh, was basically uh, what's the right word here um, oriented around celebrating the fun and the playful aspects of the brand that evokes memories of those family moments and things sure. like that. So they've been successful not only because of this brand platform, but they're also applying the, the product flywheel effect. So for those that don't know, this concept is really describes basically describes a positive feedback loop mm-hmm. uh, where essentially various elements of either a product or a service reinforce each other, leading to sustained growth for the organization. Yep. So because Oreo is really, um, has dominance with their cookies or biscuits um, and for our friends in the UK, uh, they're able now to introduce other categories. So a lot of their frozen treats. So in India specifically, in India specific, this is what, where this case study really came from, um, they were able to increase their penetration points by Mm 5.7, which roughly coincides to 19 million new buyers. Hmm. So you think about the product flywheel, and then you have a really catchy you know, stay playful global campaign that's running at the same time. It kind of creates this great positive momentum for the brand. Now, the one thing I tried to do some research around like all the elements of the stay playful campaign from a, Mm -hmm. from an execution perspective. But the one thing that I found was a lot of marketing that, that Oreo does revolves around three key pillars, like the social media side and the engagement. Mm-hmm. collaborations and limited editions issues of their cookies and then just making sure that they're creating interactive campaigns mm-hmm. so when we think about like the social media engagement you can go back in time in 2013 with the dunk in the dark mm-hmm. really uh became like a, a a case study if you will for yeah. marketers but they were also the first to re- release things like the rainbow cookie you right. know so when you think about you when you think about oreo they're also very good at really uh, taking a lot of the hot topics like in society today, and kind of bring them to life in a yeah. you know, either sometimes humoristic or in a very appealing way, which is which is good and also shows how versatile the brand actually is. The overall results of this, so when you think about the the products itself um, and the expansion of the new categories, the Stay Playful global brand platform, they've been able to achieve a ninety three percent global awareness which is hmm. insane. Uh, they were able to grow their CRP by 8%. Uh, they added 26 million new shoppers and they were able to increase their global rank position by one. Hmm. Great job to everyone out there that's touched this business in some way, shape or form. The campaign itself, the Stay Playful was Sachi and Sachi um, that, were, that were behind it and the media was bought by uh, Karat UK. Karat. Hmm.
1: Carrot, I think it's carrot. Carrot, I don't know. (laughs) I'm C A R A T. That one, that one. Yes, (laughs) yeah, it's cool. I was thinking about that. As far as the stay playful platform, it's interesting. Just thinking about a platform, like because then I, 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 that's one of the things I get excited about. Like, how can you bring that idea to life? Totally. In different places, in different formats, in a different, um. My versions of of that, like through advertising, through product, and all those things. That's cool. Yeah. It's an interesting story. I want an Oreo cookie now. So, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Q and A V. I got an interesting question from a, a guy I met with last week, uh, Will, mm-hmm. who asked, "Where do I find leads?" And it's it's a really, you know, at, on the surface level, I'm like, "Well, they're everywhere." but it's a really interesting question because it kind of speaks to the channel selection um, of where you find leads, whether in B2B or sales if, or customers if you're in B2C. Um, and it's something that's come up for sure over time. So I just wanted to kind of like have a conversation, quick conversation with you about this um, in terms of channel I feel choice. Like this How do you yeah. pick the channels where to find the best source of uh, leads and, and sales.
0: I feel like this is a rabbit hole question because there, there's so many different elements to this. So here's what I will always do when I when I think about hey, where's my highest propensity to buy or to find consumers? Um, I'll always try to apply an intent lens. The first, so where are people right. showing intent on a my potential product or service? Right. Now that could be things like. Google search is probably the first one that comes to mind. But if yeah. we're talking, taking it into B two B content context, it could be things like trade shows. It could be things like that are right. more industry relevant. So I, I wouldn't have that aperture right now to really analyze. But let's, for for lack of better example, let's just assume that there's a lot of people showing intent. Through engaging in videos and potentially, you know, search. So yeah. for me, those those would be two platforms that I would look at immediately and try to find. Well, what is that? Uh, what is what does that audience look like? So what's yeah. the opportunity that exists there? And then start catering content and ads against that. Right. But that's only one part of it, right? right. That's that's the almost like the if we use the five ninety five percent rule, that's like your five percent. Right, You're able to potentially look through that intent lens. Then you would shift gears, in my opinion, at least, and try to address that 95%, which is outside of who's looking to purchase today. Right. And I think that's where it becomes a lot more convoluted and a little more difficult because it can become as big as mm-hmm. your pockets can carry, or it can become really small because, again, you don't have the budgets. Right. So... I don't know, it's, I, apply an intent lens first, I think is what I would recommend, uh, and then start building out from there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, it's a good approach. I like that. I think, you know, in the intent lens, there's tools like Zoom Info <clears> where you can download high intent purchase data from, mm-hmm. or, or like person personal data, email, phone numbers, that kind of thing, and create lists. And there's other tools and platforms that do that. There's also... Uh, Like on G2, um, you can get intent data like people who've done comparison shopping on G2 Mm -hmm. uh, from a B2B perspective where it says, you know, a product like mine versus people who shop for other products in this category. And so you can get intent data that way as well. The other one I would say is like buyers or shoppers are people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people spend time with media. and so Things like... YouTube, um, you know, might not be able to target the same way on YouTube that you can on LinkedIn, let's say. That's true. Right? Like on YouTube, it's good because you've got, let's say, 93% reach on a on a mm-hmm. whole population. Um, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, maybe less. But on LinkedIn, you could target by a job function or job title, of which there are many versions and iterations. So you have to be careful on how limited you are on that. Yeah, Um, But on YouTube, you could use all kinds of other things. You can layer in search uh, keywords into Mm -hmm. YouTube targeting. Mm -hmm. I would say in general, though, like the creative is the thing that will help you target the most to people wherever they may be on the channels where they may be. The contextual targeting you thought was good. It was was a good idea. There's also things in programmatic where you can draw polygons and people who visited specific areas or have been visiting uh you know a place of work is this building here anybody who lives in this building here yeah um, there's all kinds of ways to do this and i think it's it's not a it's almost a question of which channels do we not use because we don't have enough budget yeah because you can reach people anywhere yeah that's a great point that's a great point so anyway it was a good question thanks will out of the week of the week, out of the week, out of the week. Okay. So this one, um, we'll put a link in, uh, there's a really, like, there's an interesting thing in the UK uh, and that we talked about V. There's, well, we actually we've talked about this a couple of times <laughs> throughout this podcast, but uh, <laughs> Snap, so John Lewis is a department store in the UK. And in the UK they have, like Christmas ads are almost like Super Bowl ads. And so John Lewis and partners had this, uh, Christmas ad called snapper, the perfect tree. It's basically, a
0: um, what's
1: that? Venus flytrap. Venus flytrap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they did this commercial with the Venus flytrap that grows up and it's like this monster of a thing and it's (laughs) this kid's best friend. Uh, and he ends up being destructive and they put him outside and then there's a, fun ending and i won't spoil that for anyone who wants to watch it but anyway it was a cool yeah. ad and so it's awesome yeah what'd you think of it i loved it i loved it because it was a
0: different take because it, like it really really zooms in this kid's in a department store and it finds a little box this is the perfect christmas tree right so, and there's a little right. seed in it so then it goes through the process of how he grows this tree Right. But it turns mm-hmm. out to be like a Venus flytrap that just like eats everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't like, like you, I'm not going to spoil it, but I think it was a different take of what you would naturally expect, you know, mm-hmm. from a, from a Christmas spot, but it still has all of the Christmas feels, mm-hmm. right? So I thought it, I th- personally, I thought it landed really well. And I thought it was a really, really creative approach to mm-hmm. something traditional as a Christmas tree.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. The other thing that I thought was interesting about it is that they actually sell a whole bunch of merch related to Snapper, the perfect tree. And so if you go online, John Lewis online, you can buy like stuffies, you can buy ornaments, you can buy books, you can buy pajamas, you can buy slippers, like all those things that go along with Christmas morning. Um, All that stuff is is things you can buy based on an ad. You know what,
0: like, there's a part of me that I almost prefer the way the UK does it in the sense like, you know, there's Super Bowl ads or Christmas because it, it has to appeal to such a large audience. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think something like the Super Bowl, it really caters to one audience that's actually watching the game. Yes, as marketers, everyone's probably watching the ads. But like, it's it's a little bit different in terms of the overall appeal.
2: Mm-hmm. Um Anyways, well, it,
1: yeah. it makes sense, like, especially because retail is such a, like, it, it, Q4 that's is true. huge. Yeah. So, like, doubling down on investments during that period make a ton of sense. Whereas yeah. in, timing-wise, you know, Super Bowl, like, there's, <laughs> it's like, like, whatever <laughs> the number is, like, 3 billion people that watch, the half the planet watches the Super Bowl, which is awesome. But they yeah. may not all be buying right then.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's
1: a good point. V, what are you got coming up? Well, next week we
0: had, we're, we're releasing our conversation with Eddie Obang um, on building and maintaining essentially high performance organizations through, you know, um, uh, these, I guess, remote settings. I know he has his cube, uh, platform that is really great. So we get, we get into some of the nitty gritty around, around just building, um, high performance organizations.
1: Super interesting conversation.
0: So much energy in that episode. <laughs> yeah. So
1: much energy. It was great. Yeah, it was great. And you know, thanks, Eddie. We'll, we'll definitely uh, let you know about that one too when it comes out. Yeah. All right, V. That's, that's it. it. All right. Short and sweet. Yeah, buddy. So until next week. It's chase profitability.
2: There it is, is. The one. That's the one.
1: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. It's usually you that does that. It's the first time I've said that coming out of my mouth. Well, it should so.
0: be universal. That's why I put you on the spot. Oh, you, you it is. It's our thing. So I'm it is our thing. Our thing. <laughs> our thing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See you in the next one.
1: Okay. Take it easy, buddy. Bye. Bye.